Hello, and welcome to the Almost Enlightened podcast. I'm your host, Alex Morin, and this week I go back to being solo after two consecutive weeks of a two-part interview that chronicled the journey of friend and mentor Terry Craig and her discovery of true love in her 60s. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to my newsletter on the Almost Enlightened website at www.almostenlightened.life. Hey, and if you enjoy the content that I've been delivering on a weekly basis, please also consider spreading the message through whatever means you can, as my goal is to share energy and create a space that's conducive to growth and expansion through reflection. I cannot do what I'm doing without you, and I'm ultra appreciative and grateful that I have an audience that supports me as much as I seek to support you through this podcast. Now, having said all of that, I am crazy excited about this particular episode and can't wait to get it started. So, let's get into it. It all just unfolds, doesn't it? And I'm talking about everything in life. It just happens. And when we direct our focus to ourselves, it's plain to see that life is happening. We're born, we grow, and then we die. A lot will happen as we grow, and we'll call that period of time the in-between phase. And what happens as we grow is both preordained, meaning you'll have zero control over some of the factors in your life, and the product of our will, meaning you will have complete control. This is what I'd like to talk about today, the unfolding of our lives. Imagine a beautiful apple tree. Actually, I'd like you to imagine the field in which the apple tree stands before there was an apple tree. There are at least a few ways in which the apple tree could come to grow in that field, but for the purpose of today's discussion, let's suppose that we will be the ones planting an apple seed. Imagine that the land is fertile and the conditions ideal for growing an apple tree. We plant the seed, give it a little water, and then we wait. After some time, a sprout pops up from the ground. Is that an apple tree, we may ask? And the answer would be yes. It is indeed an apple tree, albeit one without fully formed limbs, leaves, or any fruit yet. In fact, it'll take some time for our apple tree to develop, and even more time until it bears fruit. The apple tree's story is preordained, meaning that there is a set schedule as to how it'll develop and grow. In fact, it'll take six to ten years until we begin to see our first apple, after which the apples will grow every summer until the tree gets too old to produce any more apples. The typical lifespan of an apple tree is between 50 to 80 years, although some apple trees make it a full century. Now I'll concede that different varieties and different growing conditions will produce varied results, but for the most part, apple trees follow the same pattern of growth, maturation, and then death all over the world. Now, I'd like to ask the following rhetorical question. How are we any different from the apple tree in terms of our lifeline? Let's look at our lives as apple trees. Our parents will plant the seed. And yes, I know this is overly simplified. We'll grow from a tiny human being into a toddler, an adolescent, and then an adult. At a certain age, we will develop the ability to procreate or bear fruit, so to speak, like our apple tree. And then we'll cease to have that ability. And finally, we'll leave the physical world in death. To my knowledge, this is the path of all human beings, to be born, to grow, and then to die. We're all aware of that reality and accept it, some people accepting it a little more than others. But that is the reality of our lifeline. It's not too radically different from that of an apple tree. 
Where it appears that we differ the most from an apple tree is in the fact that we as humans have a nervous system, which is capable of evaluating outside stimuli that reaches us through our senses. It would also appear that as humans, our consciousness is another attribute that distinguishes us from the plant world. And if we dig even deeper into aspects of consciousness, we've got these things called faculties, such as imagination, reason, judgment, memory, will, and perception. I don't think a tree has those, although I may be wrong. It's here that we really begin to see the divide between the animal and the plant kingdoms. It's precisely those differences that enable us humans to do things that no other species on the planet seem to be capable of accomplishing. I'm talking about complete free will. Those faculties I was just talking about, coupled with a sophisticated nervous system, are such a distinguishing factor that many refer to them as gifts from God. So on the one hand, there is an element of our human lives that is more or less predictable. To reiterate, we're born, we grow, and then we die. And on the other hand, we do whatever we feel like doing in between birth and death. But hang on a second, Alex. That is not how it works. And you would be right. If you're six years old in my house, your bedtime is 8 p.m. Where is the free will? My boss tells me that I will be fired if I don't get to work by 9 a.m. every weekday. Where is the free will? I'm not allowed to drive 100 kilometers an hour in a 50 zone. Where's the free will? Just because you have free will doesn't mean that you get to exercise it whenever you want. Or does it? If my son refuses to go to bed at 8 p.m., what happens? If I show up for work at 10 a.m. every weekday morning, what happens? And if I speed through a 50 kilometer an hour zone, what happens? Like Newton points out in his third law of the laws of motion, for every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. Here's an example of how that plays out with decision-making. It's not that you can't show up late for work every day. It's just that you'll probably get fired if you do. You have free will. You can do whatever you want. But beware the consequences. As I undertake this journey of lifelong discovery, the paradox of free will versus destiny is something that I'm confronted with almost daily. I think we all confront the conundrum to some extent. We live in a world in which there are rules and laws that aren't based on truth. And because truth is individual to each of us, living in this world can be quite confusing. Let's explore the concept of truth for a moment. My truth is likely different from your truth. For example, a hot topic for a lot of people is diet. Because I have a free will, it's my choice whether I want to be a vegan, a vegetarian, a flexitarian, a carnivore, or whatever label we attribute to food choices these days. Wherever you sit on the spectrum of diet choice, you're bound to encounter similar as well as opposite reactions and decisions regarding your choice of diet. You're going to find this same scenario in just about any view you have in life. Some viewpoints are widely agreed upon by society, while others may be more evenly balanced, like the recent U.S. election in which Democratic versus Republican ideology was fairly balanced in opposing viewpoints. 
In organized society, particularly in a democratic society, we tend to make the rules based on the most popular viewpoints of the day. Think about the evolving laws and rules around the cannabis industry. And this is why rules and laws are constantly amended, because viewpoints change based on a multitude of reasons, some of which may include expanded knowledge, contemporary beliefs, and of course, popularization through influences like media, including traditional media, social media, and even propagandized channels. In other words, truth in society is constantly evolving. And so are your truths, by the way. I'm sure you feel differently about a guy like Bill Cosby today than you did when you were watching The Cosby Show many years ago. Truths evolve. The evolution of truth can lead to a lot of confusion. When something we fervently believed for so long is suddenly proven to be inaccurate, we are vaulted into an opposing viewpoint of which sometimes the consequences are profound. For example, until quite recently it was completely normal to prescribe synthetic opioids to patients with physical ailments as a means of alleviating pain. Today, we're witnessing the catastrophic damage of that treatment because we are more educated and have gained an understanding of how addictive and potentially life-threatening the prolonged use of opioids can be in their supposed treatment of pain. I'm sure there are plenty of parents that were physically present when the first prescription of whatever opioid was prescribed to their child. So how painful do you think it might be for a parent who's lost their child to an opioid overdose, knowing that they were there when the first prescription was given, and not knowing at the time what kind of damage it may inflict? I mean, talk about confusion. Truth can be confusing. I use that story of opioid consequences because it further demonstrates the conundrum of free will versus destiny. On one hand, it is indeed our choice to fulfill a prescription of opiates, and yet on the other hand, the truth of the day, in quotations, which was espoused by doctors that we trusted and trust, seemingly gave us no choice but to listen to the expert who was prescribing the drugs in the first place. But it runs much deeper than that because the doctors are not to blame. Opioid use in the treatment of ailments was, at the time, the best knowledge available to doctors. And once they became aware of the issues through increased knowledge and understanding, the nature of prescribing opioids changed radically and to the credit of the medical society. Although there was never a moment in which one was forced to fill the prescription to take the drugs, it happened and it happens. Is that destiny or is it free will? Let's take a little detour and look at the subject of free will versus destiny through the lens of life as part of a system. Like it or not, you're part of a giant system. There is a system of its own at play in everything you observe. And that system is connected to a larger system, and so on and so forth, for as far as the mind and technology will allow us to observe. Take, for instance, the minute occurrence of a bee sting. If you're not allergic to a bee sting, then the sting hurts, it hurts temporarily, you heal, and life goes on. That's a little system. Step back and widen the focus, and you may begin to understand why the bee stung you. Step back even further, and you may begin to understand what the bee was doing there in the first place. 
and step back yet again, and you may understand the reasons why bees are so important. As it turns out, according to Sustain, an alliance of organizations and communities working together for a better system of food, farming, and fishing, it's estimated that one-third of the food we consume each day relies on pollination mainly by bees. That isolated bee sting is part of a much bigger story. Which brings me to the story of letting it be. Pardon the pun. In the Beatles' final single release as a band, co-frontman Paul McCartney sings the words, Let it be, as part of one of the more familiar pop song choruses in the world. What I've recently discovered is that my life has deliberately taken on that refrain. You see, I've spent the past 16 days practicing something. My practice has consisted of trying to eliminate strain and struggle from my life. Now, you probably expect me to say that it hasn't been easy. But the honest truth is that it hasn't been backbreakingly difficult either. It's had its moments, and I had one last night that'll serve as a completely different podcast episode, but what I'm aware of is that when it comes to my thoughts, I have some choices. One, I can accept a thought that crosses my mind. Two, I can reject a thought that makes it into my mind. Or three, I can create a thought. Any thought I wish. Since strain and struggle are a state of mind, and a state of mind is composed of thoughts and feelings, I have choices when it comes to thoughts of strain and struggle that occupy my mind. I may keep those thoughts around, I may banish them from my mind, or I may simply create new ones in their stead. In embodying this philosophy for 16 consecutive days, I had successfully eliminated nearly all strain and struggle from my life until last night. But what's really interesting is that I discovered an arrogance in my approach that I would like to address. Thinking that I can eliminate all strain and struggle is similar to thinking that I can hold a book up forever when everyone knows that sooner or later I'm going to get tired and have to release the book. So it's not that I've eliminated strain and struggle as I so proudly thought I was doing. It's that I've been shifting my perspective to see strain and struggle as opportunity rather than as an obstacle. In other words, let it be. And what's really interesting is that last night I could feel the strain and struggle, yet I chose not to bathe in it. I accepted it, felt it, analyzed it, shifted my perspective, and then moved on. Now, I still feel like I haven't completely resolved or figured out the lesson that presented itself last night, but I am a willing participant in trying to figure it out with love and compassion. How does this relate to free will versus destiny, you may ask? Well, I'm about to tell you by getting back to Paul McCartney's Let It Be. Letting it be is one of the most incredible things a person can do. In fact, as the words imply, nothing has to be done. You just let it be. Now, this doesn't mean that we should abandon anything or everything we do. But let me tell you what it means to me. To let it be is to acknowledge the fact that we are part of a bigger system. To let it be is to willfully allow life to unfold. If we are indeed part of a bigger system, then the wheels are in motion and we are powerless to stop them. So let them spin.
Hang on a second. What about those gifts from God that you were talking about earlier, Alex? (laughs) Well, that's a great question. That's what you do in between. In between birth and death is a period of time in which you get to create your truths. It's a time in which the imagination, reason, memory, and all of the other cognitive faculties get to express themselves in the individuality which can only be yours. Sure, you're still part of the big system, but the beauty of having a nervous system with cognitive faculties is that you are actually a creator. Instead of living a life of survival as so many creatures do, we are blessed to be able to live a life of our choosing. And because it seems to be Beatles Day today, let me highlight a lyric from solo artist John Lennon's song, Watching the Wheels. At the end of each chorus, he sings, I just had to let it go, which is oddly similar to McCartney's, let it be, let it be, let it be, yeah, let it be. In both cases, there is a conscious decision to let life unfold, whether by letting it be or letting it go. How beautiful is that? Now, if we were to delve even further into the song Watching the Wheels, you might notice that the narrative is about acknowledging the fact that life keeps on spinning like a merry-go-round. Lennon sings, I'm just sitting here watching the wheels go round and round. There's sort of a detachment from what's happening in life from his vantage point. He goes on to sing that he really loves to watch them roll, referring to the spinning wheels of the life he used to live. It's really interesting to me that once he detaches, there is a feeling of love, as in loving watching the wheels roll. And this is going to serve as the precursor to today's grand finale of this episode. If you're ready for it, here I go. Imagine for a moment that you are grass. Yes, the grass that's typically found in most people's front yards if you live in the suburbs. When you were first planted, you were a beautiful patch of pristine grass. But slowly, over the weeks, months, and years, some weeds began to grow where you once existed as grass. A lot of people might tell you to use a pesticide to get rid of those weeds, and some might even advise you to dig out the weeds altogether. But the simplest way to get rid of weeds is to plant more grass. In other words, to be more of who you truly are. Because remember, you are the grass in this metaphor. By planting more of yourself, you begin to choke out what's unwanted. You return to your natural state unencumbered by everything that's not who you are, i.e. the weeds. Now, instead of grass, I'd like you to imagine one more thing today. I'd like you to imagine that you are love. If strain and struggle represent the weeds, it'll only take more strain and struggle to remove those weeds with remedies like pesticides and digging. Think back to that opioid example we were just discussing. The remedy for removing those weeds is simply more love. If you continuously add love to your life, it will grow more love. And what's truly fascinating about this prospect is that it occurs naturally. 
Love isn't something that needs to be sought and found. Love is what you always were and what you truly are. When you remove the weeds, the strain, the struggle, you're left with one ingredient. And that ingredient is love. It's yours the moment you realize who you truly are. It needn't be cultivated because it's yours already. Is it any wonder why we love our children so much? They're entirely made from us and we are love. The sum of love plus love equals, you guessed it, love. Oh, shoot. I almost forgot about that apple tree that we planted at the beginning of this episode. Left to its own devices, it grew. There were years in which it didn't rain that much, and it was tough on our little apple tree. There was once a storm so fierce that it nearly toppled our apple tree. And if it weren't for some very thoughtful farmers, there was a year in which the Asian gypsy moths would have killed our tree. But we escaped that threat narrowly. As the years went by and the fruit that fell to the ground decomposed, other apple trees began to grow from the fallen seeds. Many years from now, there will be a full orchard of beautiful apple trees that feed the birds, the animals, and many humans. And further in the future, those trees will cease to exist on that land until the day that a human comes around and has a thought. What if I were to plant an apple tree here? That, my friends, is free will and destiny. Hey, thanks for listening today. I'm so grateful for your support and please know that I appreciate you. Mm-hmm.